that was on life support. And uh, what I pray is that we never become a church that's on life support. Uh, you know, sometimes it's really easy to look at something and go, man, I really want that. But you don't know what's going on the inside. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And recently I was reminded that for, through some situations I'm not going to go into, but it's easy even as a pastor to go, oh, I wish I had that in my church or this or that. And then the Lord just has a way of going, you have no idea, all right, what is going on within someone else's church. You better just take care of your church. And what I'm getting at is this, uh, listen, it's one thing to look alive. And I can tell you, sometimes people come to church and they don't even look alive, all right? It's one thing to look alive, it's another thing to be alive. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 3. Listen, before you were saved, you know what you were? You were alive, but you were dead. You, you, were, you had a, a living body, but you had a spirit that was dead, dead in trespasses and sins. And a church is, 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 uh, functions not so much for itself, but to reflect the glory of God. And when a church quits doing that, when a church becomes about anything other than Jesus Christ and making him known, when it becomes about keeping up with the Joneses, the Joneses when it becomes a, what is the latest trend and what did that church do and what are they doing over here and all the other stuff, trying to please everybody rather than just trying to please God. When that happens, guess what? The church dies. And we're going to talk about a church, uh, the church of Sardis. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And under the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he to have the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest, and art what? Dead. Dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. I'm going to explain this because, again, just like everything else we've been looking at, there's practical things in here, and then there's doctrinal things that don't apply to the church that we are in. I don't mean New Heights, but the church, but the body of Christ today. Basically, we are in a unique body, and the next major event for the church is what? The Sounds like my birthday. No, no, no. <laughs> not the Super Bowl either. It's the rapture, all right? That's... The next major event on God's calendar, even if it's not on ours, it's His. And, and so that's what we're looking forward to. What's being spoken of in verse 3, we'll explain it all, is not the rapture, but rather the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ down to this earth. Look at verse 4. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Paul says it like this. Here's the Christian application of that. Uh, that you walk worthy of vocation, wherein ye are called. All right, vocation is like a calling, you, that you walk worthy of the Lord. That means that you remember that you are not just walking by yourself or walking in this world, but you are walking in this world, through this world, with Jesus Christ. And, and it's the opportunity to testify of him. Look at verse number five. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. By the way, I've already overcome because of Jesus Christ. All right, now look at verse uh, 5. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. My name will never be blot out because of Jesus once again. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing. Uh, Brother Kedon, if you'd open us up in a word of prayer, sir, please. Yes. 
Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Please be seated. Uh, we're talking about a church on life support because there in verse number one, it says, Thou hast the name that thou livest and art dead. Uh, and, and I just want to say this. I think the things that we see here from a practical standpoint are great warnings for local bodies of believers. And you know what New Heights Baptist Church is? We're a local body of believers. And there's a warning here that, look, you don't want to get to a place that you have a name, but that's all you got. You, you, in other words, you don't want to get to a place where you live in the past or you live on, a, on, 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 on this relic or this monument that is not life today. You ever met someone that talks about, I mean, you ever, I'm sorry, I don't want to be mean, but you ever met some guy who you look at him and you go, he's never played a sport in his life. <laughs> and he's like 55 years old and, and, you know, basically what was once here is now, you know, here. And, and, uh, he, but all he does is talk about, you know, 1981, I could throw a football over that there mountain. Right, like he, you know, what he, you know what that guy's doing. That guy's living in the past, and that guy's talking about what the glory days of years before. Look, God doesn't want us living that way, all right. And a lot of churches do that. They live in the past. This is where God worked. Well, listen, God's if God worked that way back then, guess what? That's what He did back then. I'm not talking about changing truth or changing doctrine, but understand a church. I, recently, someone says, "Oh man, the church is changing." The ch- a church should change. It's a living organism. You don't want a church to be stale and, and the same thing over and over. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about uh, doctrine or truth or the Bible or, or keeping sound music. Do not walk out of here and go, Pastor Adrian wants to change everything. I didn't say that. What I am saying is this, a church should grow. You don't look at a baby and look at a baby and expect that two years from now, they're still not able to walk and not able to talk and not able to eat on their own. You expect growth and maturity. When someone gets saved, they are a babe in Christ. You need to learn to expect less from someone that just got saved. All right? By, by the way, I've been in churches where, man, you get saved, and if you came in, and you had, if you're a guy, and you had you know, long hair and earring, right away, we're going to talk to you about that. That's stupid. Give people a chance to grow and learn what the Bible says and develop a walk with God on their own. Those things take care of themselves. Making those things front and center, you miss the mark when you do that. And also, you can kill the spirit of a church. You're looking at a church that had a name, but they were dead. And from a historical standpoint, I'll say it like this, from a, a, uh, a practical standpoint, when we talk about churches and church history, we looked at Ephesus, the, the first church. They knew how to draw lines. Smyrna, they were there to offer up a willing sacrifice, and like the word myrrh is found in there, uh, as a sweet odor under the Lord, Pergamus meaning much marriage. Uh, they mixed the ways of the world. And then what one generation tolerates, the next generation is going to uh, be destroyed by that very thing. And you see that with Thyatira. And now you're in Sardis. And what the seeds that were planted here are now coming to, f- to full fruition over here. You say, what did it take? It took us several hundred years. But what started as a small group of people that consolidated power little by little became a group that eventually ran the church 
underground. And the church that was above ground was dead as a doornail. And the church that was below ground and underground running for their life being persecuted by the Roman Catholic Church. I'm not anti-Catholic. I love Catholic people, but I'm, I also read. I know how to read. And when you read, and you read books that tell you about history, and I'm not going to quote all of it right now, you read about people being tortured, and people being uh, put on racks, and people being burnt at the stake. You know what their crime was? Saying that you're saved by grace through faith. Right. You know what some of their crimes were? And if someone walks in and goes, I just think you're biased, you don't know what you're talking about. Read. And when you read, I'm not against Catholic people. I love them. Most of my family's Catholic. I think you could be saved to me Catholic. But I'm going to tell you right now, what the Roman Catholic Church did throughout history, man, that's wicked and evil. And if you think I'm anti-Catholic, what you're really is, you're anti-history, all right? The reality is this is what happened. And there's volumes of books just like this talking about these items. You say, what happened? Well, the name Sardis, you know what it means? Red ones. You know why? Because a whole lot of blood was shed here. And it could be applied to the, the church above ground, the church that was running things, the Roman Catholic Church. And it could be applied to the, the church underground because it was their blood that was being shed. You know what you take for granted? The fact that you can come to church. Some of you take it for granted, I can tell. Come to church and just kind of plop yourself down and kind of like, whatever, go ahead, preacher, do your thing, then we'll get down. Amen, let's get out of here, let's go home. And you know you take it for granted? You take it for granted, you can come to church and open the Bible and there's no one here to persecute you. And when you leave, if you dare open your mouth against American persecution, i.e., they unfriended me on Facebook, if you dare open your mouth about Jesus Christ in public, you know what's going to happen? Someone's not going to like you. Unlike throughout much of church history and still much of our brethren throughout the world who are suffering and they're giving their lives up for the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is what Sardis was about. You say, well, then why does God say that they were alive, they had a name, they were alive, and they were dead? What he's talking to is this right here. He later on references a remnant of those that stuck with the truth. There's always going to be a remnant, by the way. When someone says everyone's doing it, no, they're not. Right. Everyone's committing fornication. No, they're not. Right. Everyone's doing it. No, they're not. That's, that's, just, that's just garbage that people put in your head to make you think that it's normal when it's not. Yeah. That right now, what's going on in the world, Christian, is everything that's wicked is being normalized so that you go, everyone's doing it. No, they're not. Right. And even people that don't have the guts in the backbone to stand up and say, I don't want my kids around that, don't want their kids around it. Right. And so you need to learn, Christian, that that mantra, everyone's doing it. No, they're not. There's always a remnant. God talks about that throughout the book of Revelation as well. All right, so we're talking about a church that went underground and shed their blood, but the church that was above ground, you say, what was it? It was dead. No life in it whatsoever. Um, you know what brings life to something? God. When you take a step away from the Lord in your walk with God, you're going towards death whether you realize it or not. You know the, the verse in Romans 6? You guys know, you don't have to turn there. The wages of sin is death. You know that verse? Do you realize that's not written to lost people? We apply that when we talk to a sinner about their, their fact that their sins have to be paid for. Nothing wrong with the application, but Paul wrote that to save people talking about the effects of sin in the flesh. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who walk uh, in the Spirit. That's what it says in Romans 8. And not after the flesh. All right, so guess what? When you move away from the Lord, you're dead. <laughs> you say, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, think about this. Uh, the Bible says that Adam was formed of the dust of the ground, and then the Lord breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then Adam becomes a living what? Soul. So before that, you know what he was? A lump of clay. He was a dirt ball, sister. You're marrying a dirt ball. You need to know that. But you're marrying a saved dirt ball, so it's way better, all right? 
All right, so, but Adam was a dirtball until God breathes into his nostrils. And then when God does it, when God takes life from himself, and first law of thermodynamics, right, and pours it into to, to something else, that thing becomes alive because of God bringing, as the New Agers like to say, he poured his energy into him, right? He put his life into him, and now Adam is a living soul. Well, guess what happens when you as a believer move further away from the source of light and life in your life? You die. You go, well, I'm saved. I'll never die. You won't die eternally. But, man, you can die spiritually. What I mean by that is everything, the rewards God wants for you, uh, the blessings God wants for you, the people that God wants you to reach, the ministries God may want you to be involved in, the places God wants to take you. You know why? Because you're doing your own thing, and you know how to handle it, and you've got a name. Well, guess what? Your name ain't Jesus. So, you know, the only way to stay alive is to walk in his name. And what happens here is this. This church becomes about buildings over souls. You know what dead religion is? Here, here's here's the, uh, the earmarks of a dead church. Man's praise over God's. Comfort over sacrifice. Convenience over correction. Flattery over truth. If you go to a church and all they do is ever make you... No, look, I don't believe you should go to church and walk out of there going, man, that preacher just hates everybody. <laughs> every Sunday and every Wednesday. There ought to be some exhortation. There ought to be some encouragement. But I'm telling you, there's a difference between exhortation. Listen, this is flattery. Baby, you good looking. Okay, I can do that with her. She's my wife. Any visitors want you to know she's my wife. All right? Now, if I say, babe, that dinner was the best dinner I've ever had in my life. Man, babe, you've never cooked that good. Man, that was just amazing. You know what she's going to say after a while? Um, what do you want? All right? Now, there's a difference between flattery and exhortation. When you go to a church where all you do is get your ears tickled, and, and, and there's never anything, nothing against sin. Don't preach against sin. Don't preach about righteousness and holiness. You know what you're heading towards? You're heading towards death. That's a dead church. You go, oh, no, no, they got, they got a big building. They got a, no, no, that's death. It, listen, God does not, and I'm thankful our church is growing. I'm not saying that having more people come is a sign of bad things. But guys, I'm going to tell you right now, when you measure things the way man does, and I, look, God looks at, at David after all the brethren, and Samuel goes, what about this one? What about this one? What about this one? And God's like, no, 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 no. Well, who else is there? Well, there's this punk kid out there uh, attending to the sheep. Well, go get that guy. Surely it can't be that guy. Yeah, it is. God measures things differently than we do. God measures success differently than we do. And let me tell you something. You know what you want? You want to be part of a living church. You know what a living church is? A living church puts truth over flattery. How about this? Ritual over relationship. Now, I know some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, I don't do this, you know. And No, you don't. You're Baptist, so here's what you do. Amen, brother. Good to have you. Good to see you, brother. Yes, sir. God's been good to me. And Amen. And better than I deserve. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, and, and you just say things. And someone asks you, I do. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm doing great. You liar. You just cussed your wife out on the way to church. Amen. You're not doing great. <laughs> you know, uh, how about this? Well, we just sang two songs, and then, but Pastor got to, I guess we're going to do two more songs, and then we pray after that. And then at one time, recently I did, I think we did offering before a song or something like that, or backwards or whatever it was, and I could just tell it was going, oh, oh, what's happening? You know, what's going on? You know what you don't want? You don't want your, rit- your rituals to overtake your relationships. Let me say this. Your relationship with the Lord should have some things that are consistent. You ought to wake up and read your Bible every day. You ought to do things that are, I get that. But when it becomes about the ritual and not about the relationship, we've talked to our kids. You know, when you're training kids to pray, they don't know how to walk with God yet. They're young. 
And I can't expect them to understand. I don't, I don't, listen, I don't expect, you know, a kid to get down. Oh, God, <laughs> we know, Lord, heaven, the Lord God of, of, that rules in the heavens. Well, we know that thou dost see all that thy hand hath done and all that thy servant hath done unto thee. We don't, we don't expect a kid to pray like that. Frankly, I get weirded out when some adults pray like that. But, but I, I don't expect my kid to pray that way. But you know what I do expect when they start going, uh, Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Uh, please make it a good day. Thank you for my food. In Jesus' name, amen. I stop and say, Hey, Preston, how are you? What is going on? How was your day? What are you thinking? Okay, goodbye. And he goes, What are you doing, Dad? And I'll say, I'm just talking to you the way you talk to God. Try to get him to think. Now, look, you may laugh about that. Adults do it. Ritual over relationships. How about this? One class of people over another. This is now, this was referenced earlier. Look at uh, Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2. And uh, look, if you would, at verse number 6. Talking about the church of Ephesus. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. You know what this is? This is a system, a religious system. Nico means it's a, uh, means ruler or, or rule. And laity is people. You know what you have in a dead church? You have two classes of people. You have the, leading, you know, the, the religious leaders, and then you have everybody else. You have a ruling class and everybody else. And guys, I'm going to tell you something. I've seen this in independent Baptist churches. It just makes me sick. Let me, I'm, I'm going to give you something right now. The pastor is not the fourth member of the Trinity. Okay, pastors are human. They're the authority that God puts in the church. But understand this. It's not like, man, oh, man, pastor, can I just walk in your shadow? That creeps me out, that kind of stuff. I've been, now, you, you guys don't even know what I'm talking about because some of you haven't been in churches like that. But I can tell you, I've been around it, and it's weird. <laughs> you know what I want? I want you guys to understand, yep, I'm, that's, I'm the, God's put me here to be the authority in the church and all that kind of stuff and lead things and all that. But you know what? I'm your brother. I'm your brother in Christ. We're brethren. That's what we are. All right? Uh, you say, what is that? That's a dead church. How about this? Outward show over inward heart. You're, you're fine. That it's really easy the longer you're saved to just kind of make sure everything looks okay on the outside. Do you know what a, a dead church is? It looks okay from the outside. Now, we had a chicken die in the, in the coop the other day, so extreme cold. And now, I know, I know. Who just said, oh, who was that? <laughs> it was you, wasn't it, birthday girl? Man, I tell you what, the first time we had a chicken die, Bella comes in the house. She was maybe 10 or 11. Oh, Dad, I didn't know what happened. But whatever the name, the name of the, it was just called the chicken Juicy. Juicy died, you know, or whatever it was. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I comforted her, you know, and then walked it over the trash can and dumped it, you know. And, 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 and now it's like the kids are yelling from outside, Dad, there's a dead rooster. Come get it, you know. <laughs> just kind of gotten over all of that, you know. Uh, you say, why you mention that? Man, I'll be honest with you. Uh, the truth is, uh, you, you can look at those animals, and from the outside, they look okay. But I'll tell you one thing you notice about a chicken when it starts to die. It starts isolating itself. It doesn't want to eat. It puts itself in a corner. You know what we did? We took that rooster the night before he died and put him in the lamp light. Listen to me. We put him right in the, in the, in the heat where the lamp, where the light is. Are you with me? You know what he did? He moved right back to that dark corner. And he died there. Christian, you be real careful. You don't just have things looking good on the outside. In a church that has things looking good on the outside, we've got this, check, 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 you know, independent, premillennial, fundamental, you know, Bible-leaving, missions-minded, you know, all the Okay, all right, but are we going through things just because they're rituals? Do we really want God to breathe on this place and God to use this place? 
Because I can tell you this, you can have a name and still be dead. And that's what's going on with this church. How about this? Human power over the power of God. You know what it says over there in Timothy? It says that there are those that deny that they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. You don't want that. Yeah, let me tell you something. You can, let me, some of you know this, and some of you are learning this right now in your own personal lives. You can manipulate people and get stuff out of them. But then afterwards, you always feel guilty wondering, are they doing it because of me? Yes, they're doing it because of what you just did. Yes. Yes, you manipulated them. You got what you wanted, and now you hate it. You know what's really nice? When you step back and go, okay, Lord. Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I want your power on my life. How about buildings over spirit? Let me tell you something. I'm looking forward to the day when we get another building and have more room and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to tell you right now, it will never be about the building at this church when I'm the pastor. We'll take care of it. We'll be good stewards of it. But you know what I want more than anything else? The right spirit in this place. And you know what you know what you see in this church that's dead? You see a church that follows all these things right to the T. Now look back at Revelation chapter number 3. Revelation chapter 3. And notice something that is mentioned here. Notice in uh, verse number uh, 1, when he talks about uh, himself, unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now I think that's kind of curious. Because the Bible says, by one spirit are you all baptized in the body of Christ, right? So you're all, you're all, all baptized by one spirit. So what is this thing about the seven spirits all about? I, I'm going to get to that, but I just want to point out, in the book of Revelation, you have seven churches, seven spirits, seven, seven candlesticks, Revelation 1, 12, seven stars, 1, 16, seven lamps of fire, 4, 5, seven seals, 5, 1, seven horns and eyes of the lamb, 5, 6, seven angels, 8, 2, seven thunders. It's kind of like seven's a big deal in the Bible, all right? And, and no, it's not you know, lucky number seven. That's not what it is. The number seven in the Bible is, is connected with God himself, and it's connected with maturity and perfection and completion, if you will, all right? So I want you to look at something. Look at uh, uh, Revelation chapter 4, just right across there, Revelation chapter 4, and look, if you would, at verse number 5. Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Now you say, what's going on? Well, in verse number 1, there's a voice that calls John up to heaven. It's a picture of the rapture. I'm not saying it is the rapture. It's a picture of that. In verse number 4, uh, you, you look at the throne of God, and you see the four and twenty elders that have their seats around his throne. And in verse 5, out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and, and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Watch this. Which are the what? All right, so you know what I see right away? I see that fire being a picture of illumination. You say, why is that? Well, the Spirit of God is there to illuminate things, is He not? Look at Revelation chapter number 5. Look at Revelation chapter 5. You're going to see this again. Revelation chapter 5, verse number uh, 6. Before you read verse 6, let me give you context. They're, they got a book that has seven seals on it, and nobody is worthy to open the book. No one can open this book. They're in heaven. Guys, listen, you are in a sinless place, and everyone's going to, you ever got somewhere and, and like, you know, uh, there's no key. This has happened to people that come to church sometimes. We get here early, like, Miss Rachel's like, yes, and you've called me before. I remember that, all right? Like, well, you get there, and we're like, okay, all right, he's got the key. <laughs> it's like, no one's got the key. This is great. All right, Brother Sean, Brother Sean's like, yeah, I'll be there. 45 minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> you know, and you, we find, finally, Brother Sean walks in. He was worthy. He was worthy. He brought the key, right? He opened the door. 
Listen, uh, in heaven, they were looking for someone to open the book. No one could do it. There's only one person that could do it. I'll give you one clue who it is. Look at Revelation chapter 5, and look at verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I love this. The root of David hath prevailed. I love that he prevailed, man. He wins all the time. He hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. The context is having things being examined and illuminated. Look at verse number 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain. It's a picture of Christ having seven horns and seven eyes. Horns are a picture of power in the Bible. You know what eyes are? Eyes are the windows of the soul. Eyes are what are used to see things, to have clear vision. And look what it says about the seven eyes, which are the seven what? And where do they go? They go forth in all the earth. You say, why? You want to see things the way God does. You know what God does? God sends his spirits out, you say, why? To examine things and to see what's right and to see what's wrong. And in the context of that, it's opening the book. And so you know what I see there? I see the seven spirits being connected with illumination and examination. Look at John chapter 16. And then we'll look at Isaiah chapter 11 after that. John chapter, this is Wednesday night, Bible. Amen. John chapter 16. John 16. This book is so intricately weaved together, it's unbelievable. It's almost like there's multiple authors and yet there's only one. Amen. Look at John chapter 16. John chapter 16. John 16, look at the ministry of, of the Holy Spirit, all right, in the life, in, in regards to the world as well as in the life of the believer. Look at verse 8. And when he has come, I got good news, he's come, amen? I got him, I've got him. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they've not believed on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. You say, what is that? That's examination and judgment. The Spirit of God is the Spirit that goes out and says, this is right and this is wrong. The Spirit of Antichrist and the Spirit of Satan is the one that goes, there is no right and wrong. I told the teens about this. I watched a video. It was not made up. In 2024 in America, a bunch of 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds sitting in a circle, and they're talking about God and the devil in the garden. And, And the majority, literally every person in that circle, you know what their conclusion was? God's the bad guy. Because he's trying to hold us back from something. It's the lie from Genesis 3, man. Anyone that, can, that has the Spirit of God can see that. And, you know, God's holding us back. And there's only one person that said, man, the way I look at it was, God created everything with love and light, and he wants us to be a part of that, but we chose this and that. You say, what is that? Well, basically what that is, is that's a different kind of spirit that goes out and deceives the world. The Spirit of God illuminates things. And you know why you don't want to open the Bible when you're not right with God? Because that book reads you. You know why you might rather find anything else to scroll through and look at and play and watch and whatever else? And look, I'm not picking on you, but if you're an adult and you're playing games on your phone, get in your Bible. Amen. Read a little bit. It's good for you. It's good. you. Listen, you cannot convince Generation XYZ, whatever it might be, I don't know. You can't convince them to read when you don't read. I know it's real quiet when I say, mm, Fraser, can you move on? You know, we're tired and we worked all day. I know, I know, you're tired and you worked all day. I get it. But I'm going to tell you something, you're going to be tired and stupid if you don't read. (laughs) So you might as well be tired and smart, (laughs) all right? Now, I know someone might get offended at that. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just trying to get, I'm trying to challenge you, though. I'm trying to get you to think. 
You'll spend so much time doing that, and you go, I don't have time to read my Bible. You know what the problem is? There's something in that book. The Bible says it's quick, it's, it's alive, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. You saw a piercing even the devour, uh, dividing a center of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And you know what's interesting about it? The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Isn't it interesting that men uh, did not produce a Bible from private interpretation, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the what? Holy Ghost. Right? You say, well, the, the Spirit of God is all over the words of God. They are inseparable. When someone says, the Spirit of God led me, and the Bible says the other, that wasn't God's Spirit. All right? So what you're looking at, look at John chapter 16, look at verse number um, 13. Look what he does for you as a believer. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Isn't that something? You know what he does? He says, this is the way. In uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, they might have renamed it by now. I think they might have renamed it. I don't know. You know about that, Austin? I know you're Navy. Sorry. My bad. Army. My bad. All right. The infantry school in Fort, Na- in, uh, Fort Benning, uh, uh, the, the basically, uh, it, it says, uh, follow me. That's the inscription there, right? And uh, so here, what you have is, it says, it says uh, lead- and the other saying is this, leaders show the way. I think that might be ranger school. But the idea is, you know what the Lord says? Follow me. You know what he does? He shows you the way. How does he do it? Through the Spirit of God. You say, what happens when you have something that's dead? There's no spirit. The shell is there, but there's no spirit. I've watched marriages die. That's a sad thing. The shell's there, but there's no spirit. You can have relationships die. Your walk with God can die. A church can die. Hey, let me say this. There are some things that need to die, but that's not one of them. And when you look at where it mentions, this is the two places, Revelation 4, 5, and Revelation 5, 6. And when you run the references, lamps of fire and seven eyes, you know what that is? That's illumination and examination. And it's a picture of something. Look at Isaiah chapter 11. If you want the cross reference to the seven spirits of God, here it is right here, Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Now, I know that there's like a bunch of other people in this room, but I'm going to give you guys some free advice, all right, Eric, Michaela? Don't quit dating her after you marry her. Okay, she's like, that's right, boy, you better. <laughs> All right, uh, because a lot of marriages die that way. All right, look at Isaiah chapter 11. How about this? When you get saved, don't quit talking to him. That, that's the beginning of the relationship, but that's not the end of it. Look at Isaiah chapter 11, look at verse number one. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. So we're talking about, listen, you got to get this. This is why we're all going down this bunny trail. All right, it's not just because Pastor Adrian can't keep his attention. All right, it's because, somebody's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> Maybe, but we're going to have ADD in the, in the scriptures tonight, all right? Uh, but, but in regards to why we're looking at this, here's the reason why. Because it says the one that's speaking to the church has the seven spirits. He's trying to let us know, look, this is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and he has something that you need. And when you don't have what he's offering you, you die. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 1, talking about prophecy in reference to Jesus Christ. Thus shall come forth a rod. Why a rod? A rod's a symbol of power and of rulership and of judgment. A rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now watch it. The Spirit of the Lord, number one. The Spirit of wisdom, number two. Spirit of understanding, number three. Spirit of counsel, number four. Spirit of might, number five. Spirit of knowledge, number six. And Spirit of the fear of the Lord, number seven. There are the seven spirits of God right there. And they're all connected with the Holy Spirit. And Christian, if you want to, to walk in the light and have life, 
then I recommend you allow the Spirit of God to lead. You know what's interesting about this? He's, Jesus Christ says this, the Spirit of God will not speak of himself, he's going to speak of me. And yet when Jesus was here, he didn't speak of himself, he spoke of the Father. You know what that shows you? When you're submitted to, to the Father and his direction and you're submitted to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will show you every step that you need to take along the way. He's going to illuminate that path. He's going to examine things and show you that which is right and that which is wrong. You say, what happens with a church that says, I'll take man's ways over God's? I'll do things the way that we've always done them. Listen, let me tell you right now. If there's, I'm not talking about doctrine, truth, old-fashioned, old ways in the, the Word of God. I'm talking about things that we just do. Uh, how, how about this? If God shows us there's a better way, can we go ahead and do that? If God shows you, hey, you know what? There's a better way to start your Bible. Can you do that? Or can you say, well, it's just the way I've always done it. Look, I'm not against anyone doing a different kind of plan, but maybe every once in a while just go, hey, I'm going to start in Genesis. And yep, I'm going to go through Exodus. Then I'm going to go through the plagues of leprosy. <laughs> and if this thing chews the cud but doesn't have a cloven foot, and if it doesn't do da 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 then it's a clean animal. But if it's not, then it's an unclean animal. And then, and then if you've got leprosy in your house and it's got white streaks in the walls, you go blah, 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 and you're like, oh, you get the numbers. Like, finally, I got out of Leviticus. You get the numbers, and you're like, and this person begat this person. <laughs> and then you read Deuteronomy, you're like, I swear I just read this in Exodus. And you're like, yep, it's true. You're right. Right? And then you get Joshua, and everyone's dying and getting killed, and then judges, and no one knows what they're doing. And you get all the, and let me just say this, God put those books in an order for a certain reason. So maybe every once in a while, I'll just follow the order. What I'm getting at is this, Christian, when you get in a rut, here's why. Because you're doing what you're doing without thinking about the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, things die. And that can happen in a church. And it has happened in churches. And I'm thankful not to be a part of a church that's dead. Amen? Go back to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Now, there's some things in this passage. We looked at a lot of practical stuff there. But there's some things in this passage that you might read and go, man, that doesn't sound like, I don't know, 95% of the rest of the New Testament that I know. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 3. I want to point out just a few of those things. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And, and oh, oh, by the way, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to have you go somewhere else. Look at Matthew chapter 23. Sorry, Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Matthew 23. You know what? Uh, we have, uh, obviously, you guys, most of you know this, we have horses, and forever we've used these ginormous horse troughs for their water. But here's what happens when that water sits. It stinks, and it's actually unhealthy for the animals to drink. Amen. All right? And you know what you need? You need running water. Do you realize in the Dark Ages, uh, there was a small group of people that didn't die from the Black Plague. They were called the Jews. Yeah. And you know what a lot of Europeans tried to do to the Jews? They tried to kill them because they thought they were practicing magic. Because you know why? You know why it's called the Dark Ages? There was no Bible. Yeah. Well, what gets them out of the Dark Ages is the Bible gets published in the common man's language. All right? I'm glad I don't have a book that I, you know, and I, and I read some stuff and you're like, I hope what he's saying is right. Let's do it, you know? I, you can read a book in your language and know, you can check what I'm saying. Oh, that's not what it says. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> that's how it ought to be. Right. Uh, let, let me just say this, Christian. Uh, one of the dangers of, of being, there's a balance to this. You need to learn to be still and know that he's God. Okay? But you don't need to be still so long you start growing fossils and barnacles. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. All right? You, you need to learn to move when God says to move. And be still when God says to be still. The problem that we have is we tend to do the opposite. In the morning when I should be still and hearing from him, 
the temptation is to scroll and to get an email and da 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 da. And Lord's like, be still. And then when I'm supposed to be doing what He wants me to do, it's kind of like I just want to sit down. <laughs> you, you see, what the problem is we're oftentimes we, we're conflicted in that. But I'm going to say this much: when water sits for too long, it's not fit for consumption. When a church sits for too long, it's not fit for consumption. You realize the world is dying right now. They need something that's alive to get them he- to get them the help they need. They need those lower lights to be burning. Look at Matthew 23. Just kind of a gut check for you a little bit. Matthew 23, look if you would at verse number 26. I love the loving words of my Savior. Always so gentle and kind. You ready? Here's your good news verse for the day. Thou blind Pharisee. I can imagine, I can imagine someone coming to church and be like, thou blind Pharisee. They'd never come back. And you know what? Jesus wasn't worried about it. Thou blind Pharisee. Why? He cared about him. He wanted them to get the truth, even if it hurt their feelings in the moment. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is where? Man, inside. Inside. Within the cup and platter. That the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Why? For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, like graves, which indeed appear beautiful outward. You look like you're alive but are within full of dead men's bones. That's a warning. You know what that warning is? Hey, look, you ought to be watching out for some things, and it shouldn't just be a matter of watching for the external. You ought to be looking on the inside. Check your heart and make sure things are where they ought to be in your walk with the Lord. And if they're not, look, if they are, praise the Lord. But I'm going to tell you this over and over and over. You know what Jesus says? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. You know, he says, look at Revelation chapter 3. Go to Revelation 3 now. Revelation chapter 3. And he tells the church something that I find very curious. I think there's a practical side to it, but there's also a, a, a doctrinal side to it that has to do with the great tribulation. I'm going to explain all of that. But look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 3. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. We're going to come back to that thought of repentance at the end. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a what? Now shall not know what hour I will come upon thee. In other words, he's telling them, hey, let me give you a warning. I want you to be watchful. When a church loses its vision, it's in trouble. You know, you know what Jesus says repeatedly over and over and over? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Matthew 26, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Uh, look at uh, uh, Mark chapter 13. Mark 13. Mark 13. We'll take a real quick trip. Actually, no, Luke 21. Sorry, Luke 21. Sorry, we'll come back to Mark 13 in a little bit. Luke 21. Luke 21, look at verse number 36. Luke 21, 36. Watch ye therefore and pray always. Pray always. You notice the connection with watching and praying? You notice that? Watch and pray. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse number 18. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 18. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 18, praying always, this is the, the whole armor of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and what, what's the next word? And what? Watching. Well, it's almost like the, the prayer is the watch, and when you quit praying, and when you quit communicating, and you quit making an to look out at the things that are out there in front of you and look inward at the things that are inside of you. When you quit doing that, you lose your vision. (laughs) And he says, watch, watch, watch. Look at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4, 
You may or may not remember that when the children of God were uh, rebuilding their, uh, their, uh, their walls in the city of Jerusalem after the captivity of Nehemiah, uh, it says this, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. You say, what was it? And the Bible says that they had a tool in one hand and a sword in the other. And you know what they were doing? They were setting a watch. In other words, we're not going to take your eyes. We're going to be vigilant. Why? Because like the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. When you're isolated, when you're not eating, and when you withdraw yourself from God's leadership, that's when you are prey. And that's when a church is prey as well. Look at Colossians chapter uh, number 4. Colossians 4. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 2. Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue in what? And watch in the same with thanksgiving. Uh, a watch was something that people set throughout the night. You may have heard, some of you know this, some of you don't, but the old timers that have been around for a while may have heard this. Uh, at uh, New Year's Eve, they would have a watch night service. And what they would do is they wouldn't just sit there and wait for a ball to drop. They'd be praying the New Year in altogether. You say, what is it, setting a watch? Can I ask you a question? Do you have a watch around your house? Some like, yep, ADT, got it hooked up, yep. We ring, when they ring the doorbell, I say, I don't mean that, I mean spiritually. Spiritually, you got a watch around your house? Do you have a watch around this church? Do you pray for each other? I hope you pray for me, I need it. You know the Bible says set a watch. That, mean, that means, I mean, put, make effort to make sure that, that, that you see what's going on here. How do you do that without prayer? You can't. You can't. Now, he tells him to watch. Look at uh, Mark chapter 13, Mark chapter 13. As you turn there, just know Peter says this, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch, watch unto prayer. Watch unto prayer. I'll give you a good example of this. Roll out of your bed tomorrow morning at whatever a.m. time you do, and your flesh is going to say, look at your phone. Your flesh is going to say, go get coffee. Your flesh is going to say, oh, I hurt. Your flesh is going to say, I need five more minutes. Five more minutes? I'll tell you what. You know how many times I've gotten up an hour later going, man, that was the fastest five minutes of my life. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Your flesh always wants five, but it'll take 60 if you give it. All right? You, you know what the Holy Spirit says? Watch. 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 I look at Mark 13. Mark 13, verse 33. Now, now, look at this. Look at verse 32 to get the context. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father, take ye heed... Watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. Now keep in mind, in our original passage, in Revelation chapter 3, as he talks to the church of Sardis, he talks about coming like a thief. Remember that? And he says that, that could overtake you. All right, well, Christian, what we're reading in Mark 13 is over here before the cross, and what they're looking at is over here. The reason I know that is because this was something they knew nothing about. This was a mystery that was not revealed until after this time. When Jesus is saying, no man knows the day or the hour, he's not talking about the rapture. He's talking about the second coming. And when he says that, he says that to a group of people. You know what he tells them? Look at the, look at the passage. He tells them to watch. He tells them to be vigilant. He tells them to be sober. Uh, look at verse number uh, 35. Now, uh, verse 34, for the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the poor to do what? Watch. To watch. Look at verse 35. What's the first word? Watch, watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at cock crowing or in the morning, 
lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say unto you all, watch. All right, now, in light of that, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 2 Peter chapter 3. For, I know you're going to like, okay, preacher, we've got to look at a lot of verses. I get it. Well, I'm loading you up because I want you to see this for yourself. Now, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we're going to be caught up with the Lord in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Remember that? In the clouds. Some of you ladies are like, I married a man whose head's always in the clouds. It's because we're spiritual. We're in heaven. Amen. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's not what she means by that, I'm sure. But look at, uh, uh, when you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, I don't need you to read all of it, but just look back at chapter 4 at the end of the chapter. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the rapture of the church, our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. He's talking about the day that we, as it says there, uh, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught in the clouds, in the clouds, in the clouds. Is that 17, 16, somewhere in there? Where is it? All right, 17. And so shall we ever be with the Lord in the clouds. We meet him up there. Remember that. That's important. All right, now look at chapter 5, and look at the first word in chapter 5, and tell me what, what stands out to you. <laughs> All right, we're going in a different direction. And he, what does he say? What do you say about the day of the Lord? The times of the seasons are not for you to know. He talks about the day of the Lord. Look at, uh, 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 what verse is it? Verse number 9. Look at verse 9. And look what it says there. God's not appointed us to what? To wrath. All right, well, God's not appointed us to wrath, and he's talking in verse number 1 and 2 about the day of the Lord. So what I'm getting out of this is this, the day of the Lord, and look what he says in verse number 2 at the end of the verse. How does the day of the Lord come? As a thief in the night. Well, guess what, guys? He's not describing this. This was in chapter 4. Chapter 5 starts with the word but, and we're switching gears, and we're talking about the day of the Lord. Now, look what he says in verse number uh, 5. Look at verse number 5 and verse number 6 and verse number 7. You know what he's saying? You're not children of the night. You're children of the day. So you get caught up over here, all right? And we go and meet him in the clouds. Again, remember that because it's going to matter in just a little bit. He's talking about the day of the Lord over here overtaking them. Look at verse number 3. Not when you say peace and safety, when they. Why in the third person? Because you're not it. You're not part of the people that are saying peace and safety. That's the world that says that after you've been removed from this planet and the Antichrist steps in. When they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them. What is sudden destruction? I'll tell you what it is. It's the thief in the night showing up. You know who that thief is? It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. And so how do you know that? Well, uh, look, if you would, over at 2 Peter chapter 3. There's another way. I want you, another thing to keep in mind is the day the Lord is found repeatedly in the Old Testament over and over and over. And that day of the Lord spans a couple of events. Uh, it spans the second advent, the Lord Jesus Christ coming back, Revelation chapter 19, and it goes all the way out. It's also referenced to when the Lord uh, basically uh, does the Big Bang. They got on the wrong side of, of history. There's going to be a Big Bang, but it wasn't in the past. It's in the future. Look at Second Peter chapter 3, and look, if you would, at uh, verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a what? In the which the heavens shall pass away. You know what he's talking about? Uh, you can write the reference, Revelation 16, 15. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. There's the big bang. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also in the works of the earth shall be burned up. You know what he's talking about? The day of the Lord is a reference to when God says, okay, we're done with all the last 6,000 years of man's history. 
We're going to go out into eternity and enjoy fellowship one with another forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The Lord spans from here and it covers this as well. You know what it doesn't cover? This right here. The reason I'm showing you that is for this. All right. You were also told to watch. The Bible says, um, Paul says this in 2 Timothy 4, uh, uh, and he shall give me that crown of rejoicing, not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You know what you should be looking for right now? The rapture of the church. Yeah. You should be looking for his appearing right now. You should be watching for that. I mean, every once in a while, I just go outside, look up at the stars and go, Lord, do you want to do it tonight? Yeah. <laughs> well, I got no other plans. Go ahead, you know. Well, you know, can I get married on Saturday? You know, listen, I'll tell you this. This is the best thing that could happen. You kiss, put the rings on, and we go up. Perfect marriage, no problems. Amen? <laughs> amen, amen, amen. All right? Now, now, what I'm trying to get you to understand is this. We're told to watch, but it's a different kind of watch. We're told to watch because he's coming to get us. Right. They're told to watch like watch out. All right? Uh, look, if you would, at Revelation chapter number 19. Or, uh, Revelation chapter 1. Excuse me, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. You know what happens? A thief overtakes someone when they're not expecting him. Look, I'm looking for him to come back. We're children of the day. So our watch is different than theirs. And what the Lord is telling the church in Sardis, while there's a practical application that we can glean out of it, you need to always remember that when we talk about this, as we mentioned before, there is an application of the churches that were actual churches in history. Then there's an application in reference to doctrine. All right, And the doctrinal application is this. All right, there'll be churches in the Great Tribulation. They're going to open up that book, and they're going to see some things that parallel with their existence. And they're going to go, you know what? We better watch out. We better look out for this. Look at Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. See, when you make the Bible all about the church, you forget we're not here for everything. All right, look at Revelation chapter 1. And uh, look, if you would, at verse number... Uh, that's not it. I'm uh, looking for the verses, every eye shall see him. I just had it and just missed it. Thank you very much. Behold, he cometh with what? Wow. Now, now watch it. Now you go, well, yeah, we meet him in the clouds. Hold on. And every eye shall see him. That's a departure. Here's why. When we go up with him, it's a mystery. Not every, not every eye sees him. All right? He cometh with clouds. Why does he come with clouds? Hold your hand there. I know some of you are like, Pastor, it's like 820 in the kitchen. It goes. We're almost done. Look at, look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Keep your hand there. Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved to God, a workman, a workman, a workman, a workman, that needs not to be ashamed, right divine the word of truth. Look at Acts chapter 1. Wouldn't you love if the rapture happened right when you were in church? Like, oh, is this almost over? dun 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 <laughs> Oh, no. Lord, I wasn't complaining. I was just saying, I want to see you more than I want to hear the preacher preach. That's all, Lord. Look at Acts chapter 1. Uh, look at uh, Acts 1 and verse number uh, 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, so on and so forth. Now, you know what's happening? What's happening is you're watching the Lord go up. They're getting final instructions before he goes up. Look at verse 9. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a what? Received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee. I love this. Brother Gibb always mentioned this, and I think it's hilarious. 
You know, like, if you just saw the Lord go up, once you kind of... And then two guys show up and they're like, what are you doing staring up? <laughs> what do you mean, what am I doing staring up? The Lord was here and he's gone. He just floated out of space. A cloud came down, took him out. I mean, who wouldn't stare at that, right? right? Uh, look, look, at, uh, look at verse number uh, 11. He, t- he asked him, Why, what are you doing here? Look what he says at the end of the verse. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you in heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So, so here's what you need to understand. And, and again, Acts 1, they don't know anything about Paul's mysteries. They don't know about the rapture yet. They're still asking about the kingdom. Look at verse 6. They're asking about the kingdom. They're not asking about the rapture of the church. So, so you know what they're talking about? When the, the angels say he's going to come back in like manner, he's talking this. That's what they're looking for. How do you know that? Look at Zechariah. Zechariah, second to last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah. Zechariah, look if you would at... Verse uh, chapter 14. See, we meet him in the clouds. When we go up in the rapture, we meet him in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what it says. All right? When he comes down in a cloud, every eye sees him. He comes down on a white horse, and the whole world sees him, and they wail, and he destroys the armies of the Antichrist. There's no mysterious thing about that. I mean, there he is. All right? And when that happens, he comes down in a cloud, just like he did when he went up. Now, look at Zechariah 14, second to last book in the Old Testament, and this will give you an idea of what I'm talking about when I reference the day of the Lord. Zechariah chapter 14, right before Malachi, right before Malachi. Look at, uh, if you're Italian, it's Malachi, it's not Malachi, right? Look at uh, Zechariah 14, verse 4, and uh, verse 1, behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Not the rapture, day of the Lord. Did you get that? The day of the Lord cometh, and they shall, and thy spoil, like a thief, spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem in the battle, so on and so forth. Look down, if you would, at verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem. I can't wait to watch that, man. I mean, we're going to be riding with him. You know, if you don't like horses in this life, you're going to have to like them in the next one, all right? Because we come down on those white horses with him, uh, which look what happens when he touches down. His feet touch down on the Mount of Olives, and the mountain splits in two, and it goes in one, one direction to the east, one to the west. You say, what is that? That's the second coming. That's the thief in the night. That's the world not ready for him to show up. And when he comes, boy, they're in trouble. So when he talks to the church of Sardis, the way that he does is because doctrinally he's talking to people that in the future will be going through the tribulation and should be watching, not for this, because they already missed that, but for this. And I don't have time to go into it because we're already running out of time, but in Matthew 25, there's a parable, read it some other time, about ten virgins. Some were wise, some were foolish. Remember that? And some of them bought oil and some of them didn't. You know what oil is a picture of in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. Well, you can't buy oil. You can't buy the Holy Spirit now. The guy tried that in Acts chapter 8 and he got rebuked by Peter. Remember that? But I'll tell you this right now. When you're over here and you're not over here, boy, you know what? You know what's involved? And yes, it's faith in Jesus. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Faith in Jesus and the commandments. All right. Well, guess what? That isn't us. Thank God. Thank God. Hallelujah. Praise God for all of that. The idea is this. I want you to understand. We do. We should be watching in prayer for one another and for our church. And we should be watching for him to come back. But we're not over here where there's a warning that if we don't watch, 
something's going to be taken from us that we can't. In other words, I'm not worried about losing my salvation. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 3. Just to give you an idea of what I mean by this, and we'll wrap it up. Revelation chapter 3. Now, imagine me getting up and saying, well, if you're not living right, God's going to blot your name out of the book, the book of life. And you understand what I'm saying? That, that's not biblical for today. But look at Revelation chapter 3 and look at verse uh, number uh, 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Guess what? He's promised me that, but he's promised me that because my overcoming is not connected with anything that I have to resist during the Great Tribulation. My overcoming is connected with the sacrifice Jesus Christ made for me on my behalf. Completely different. Did I lose everybody? You guys with me so far? Kind of, yes. All right. We're going to land the plane here in just a moment. Uh, the point is this. Look at verse uh, number uh, 4. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Christian, I want you to get this practical thought. We ran through some practical, then some doctrinal. Here's practical once again. Regardless of what's going on around you, there can be few, and you might be just in a few, and you might be in a minority, but God always has a remnant of people that are willing to follow him regardless of what everybody else is doing. He said, man, this is where the majority of the church was at. Here's the church above ground that I'm looking at. But man, there's a few names that did right. You know, I'd like to do, I'd like to get to heaven and go, I'd like to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I'd like for him to say, you know what? You lived in 2024 and this is going on, this is going on, this is going on, this is going on. The church is going this direction, that's going on. This, But man, you kept my name and you kept what was right. And you know how that was done? Look, look back at verse number uh, three. There's a, there's a word in there right in the middle. It's repent. You know what repent means? It means you change your mind. God repented. All right? We know that. So you know what a change of mind is? God does it with creation. God does it when he's about to wipe out Israel, so on and so forth, and God has mercy on them. But you know what, you know what this is? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Regardless of what the majority says, have your mind renewed, and you know what you're going to have? You'll have the mind of Christ. You'll think differently about everything that's going on around you. And you know, what, you know what happened as a result of that? A change of mind, you know what it leads to? Talk to the young people about this tonight. You're going to overcome an eternity forever and ever and ever. How much of that you experience down here goes back to this. You know, I'll, I'll close with this thought. I have a, a situation I've been kind of tracking and won't go into the details. But you know, I learned out of watching this entire situation unfold. It's not a situation in our church, so don't worry about it. My, my, my synopsis on the whole thing is this. If you get to a place where God himself can't get you to yield, you know what's going to happen? You're just going to break. There's two ways to break. Way number one is by getting on your knees and break your position. You know what way number two is? For God to have to crack something open. And I can tell you this, it's a whole lot better to approach the Lord broken on your own than to say, God, you can't even break me. And uh, what you learn is that the Christians throughout history, and I'd like to be one of them, I'd like for you to be one of them, that have had a successful walk with the Lord, are ones that are willing to say, you know what, maybe it's not everybody else. Maybe some of it's me. And when you can't do that, boy, you're in trouble. Let's all stand there. We'll close in a word of prayer. Hope you got some out of the study tonight. I know it waxed a little doctrinal, maybe a little heavy for some of you, and I apologize. I'm trying to give you a little bit of meat along the way. Uh, but uh, try to get you to understand that this book's a deep book. When you talk about the churches, man, you get into some, especially in Revelation, it gets into some far out stuff, some practical things for sure, but some doctrinally prophetic things that are kind of deep. 
But Christian, I want you to hold on to this more than anything else. All the deep stuff's there and all that's cool and all that's interesting. And, and you ought to learn to write and divide your Bible. But, but hold on to the things that are practical. And what I mean by that is this. Um, don't care so much what people think about you. Care about what God knows about you. Don't care so much about the outward show. Care about what God knows about you on the inside. And when you find that the Lord has revealed some things that he says, hey, uh, you're kind of dying in some areas. Instead of arguing with them, instead of going, well, I'm not like them, and I'm no, 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 just going through the list of things that we just naturally do. Anybody here have more than one child? Raise your hand. All right? When you, when you tell one kid they're wrong, do they ever go, one of them? Right? Remember that time where Peter, the Lord's talking to Peter, and, and, and Peter also goes, well, what about John? And what does the Lord tell him? Mind your own business. Maybe not on those words, but that was what he said. And uh, the, the idea, Christian, is this. When the Lord just says, hey, let's, let's deal with that. That's kind of dead. All right? Let, let, him, let him deal with it. Repent. Be soft. Be tender. Amen? Let's close in a word of prayer. And I, Father, thanks so much for the word. Thank you for time of study. Lord, I pray you'd have our hearts be soft. The Lord, be tender before you. Lord, uh, we don't want to, uh, to just appear to be alive. Lord, have the show and have the things right on the outside. Lord, we want to be genuine. We want to be sincere. And Lord, if there are areas in the lives of, of your people tonight, Lord, that uh, maybe you have brought caution to that I can't. I don't know what they are. But Lord, if you found that, Lord, in whatever area it might be, Lord, I, I pray that they would yield to it. Lord, th this church can only be as strong as the individuals in it in their walk with you. And Lord, we don't want to be a dead church. We want to be a living church. A living church is filled with living people walking with the living God. We love you, Lord. Ask your blessing on us. Help us to apply it. Lord, help us to be a light out there for Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.